It's the Play Cousins Podcast once again for another week of great social commentary. I am pleased to be here. My name is Jameer Pond. Uh, my wonderful, lovely co-host is not here. And that's my fault. I gave her some confusing. It, it was me. Shame on me. Shame on me. And next time I'll be a better uh, 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 co-host. But nonetheless, we got a wonderful show for you today. Um, before we get into that, let me just thank everybody for rocking with us. We are now on iTunes now. You can go to Play Cousins on iTunes. Just check out all the episodes. I mean, um, I have thanked all my guests that have been here. And it's a true testament to, you know, just if you build it, they will come. I learned that from the Field of Dreams. Ain't that, ain't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. That was good. That was good. That was off the cuff. But, um... So I, w- I want to uh, this show. This show is going to be geared today towards artist management. We got a lot of people um, that that send all kind of emails, and you know, a lot of friends of mine. They they want to be in this business, and which is great. I can't tell them nothing. I don't have no kind of information for you. I am uh, on this side of of, of the business, and I kind of struggle with you know what to tell you. Hey, bro, can you get my mixtape? Like, no. I can't do it. I can't do that. But we have some people here that are going to tell you about themselves and tell you uh, just what they do and how you can uh, 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 monetize your, your your music if you're an independent artist and how you can get out there um, um, even more. So uh, I just want to introduce the collective there, the Artist Republic, Republic Consulting Group. Um, they are, I heard them speak at Spotify an amazing uh, breakdown of the music business and an amazing uh, just breakdown of where you, where artists are supposed to be. I wasn't an artist. I'm not in man. I'm not an artist management, but I walked away there with some gems that I found useful for so many people, but I couldn't articulate it. So I figured that I would have them on this show. So I would like to introduce everybody to the Artist Republican Republic Consulting Group. And it's by uh, my, my brother Kente and Asantwa. 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 That's right. What's up? We're What's so good? hyped to be here. Hey. Very happy to be here. <laughs> thank y'all for joining me, first of all. Let me just so clap hyped. for y'all. There we go. We're going to you. Thank you. Thank I, you for having us. Hey, I appreciate it. And like I said, I truly meant what I what, what I said. You guys really took it to another level. Um, in terms of, I think, opening up the third eye of so many people because y'all kept it so real in that Spotify event about what artists go through, um, what what artists should be looking for, who should be their manager. And um, I thought it was so important for you guys to be here and share your story and share some tips, if you don't mind. We're hyped to do that. We're okay. So cool. All right. So we're going to get into that. But first, what we do here at Play Cousins, we do a 20-second rant. So the 20-second okay. rant, we keep it positive here at, at Play Cousins, right? So okay. we do. We keep it positive. <laughs> but we understand that sometimes you got to vent. All right? So we allow people, including myself, to give 20 seconds of a rant, and then we go about your business. If you go over 20 seconds, you will hear from me. Don't nobody want to hear that shit. <laughs> now, it's not to offend you, but it's to just okay, let you know right, okay. we're keeping it positive. Okay. All right, so I'll go first to show you how it go. Okay. You guys want to count me down? You okay. count on your fingers or okay. just count on your... I count on my fingers, so okay. don't worry about that, all right? Just let me know when I'm good. Okay. okay. I'm ready. Right, I'm watching the clock. 
and go. go. All right, so what I have a problem with is this presidential race. I don't know who to vote for because I don't feel confident and I will not vote in fear. And, you know, the lesser two evils thing, like my mother tells me, I don't believe in that shit. So what I'm going to do is look in third party options like I advise a whole bunch of y'all to do. And if you feel me, give me two snaps. All right. There we go. All right. There we are. Did I make it under 20? You did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Kobe. All okay. right. So who wants to go? Who wants to go first? Well, you go ahead and knock it out. Okay, knock it out. All right, you tell ready? Tell me when to go. Tell me when to go. All right, I'm a I'm a count on my fingers again. All right, and go. I have a big problem with what's happening in Harlem right now. Um, we need to support black-owned businesses. We need black-owned businesses to be there, and we need to make sure that we are concerned about our people, black and brown, being kicked out of Harlem. So that's my rant. Good job, good job. <laughs> I really, I really didn't want to yell. Don't nobody want to hear that shit because I needed to hear that actually. So, um, what, what, what's what's been the uh your problem with it? So, uh, like mainly so far, like in Harlem, yeah. Well, you know, Harlem is a beautiful community, and our history is in Harlem. The Renaissance of our music is centered in Harlem, and we're seeing Harlem being split like a piece of pie, mm-hmm. and the people who are the the people who our ancestors who started the movement in Harlem and who were moved into Harlem, um, they're being moved out. Yeah. And we got to care about that. So Absolutely. It's my, my 20 second. I can make it 20 minutes if you want me. Oh, no, no. I, look, do that. yeah, we, and, and you know what? We'll, we'll, I'll make it a point to talk about. We'll talk about it later on. And, um, okay. Um, I didn't want to stop you. That was, that was amazing. And I definitely feel you because they're doing the same thing with Brooklyn, yeah, doing the same thing. That star's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, my heart definitely is with you. All right, bro, you ready? Not really. Okay, yeah, well, after Asantua laid it down, I know that was that was pretty deep. That was pretty yeah. deep. But well, you were deep too. You're talking about the future of the country. I sure am. So like, I could. Oh, I'm nervous. You know, so real shallow right now. <laughs> <laughs> it could be anything, though. Hey, man, it could be because people not curbing their dogs, and you stepped in some dog shit, and you had New Jordan. I don't know. Whatever your experience is, though, brother, I need I need to hear it in twenty well, seconds. I, okay, let me know when you're ready. All right, go. Okay, well, I'm kind of vegan, vegetarian, about six to seven days out of the week. Congrats. Thank you. But how come there are no places in the hood where you can mm. live that lifestyle and feel comfortable and, and know that you can find something fast to eat as a vegan vegetarian? That's my gripe. It may sound a little. Off. Ah, I gotta stop but, you though. Yeah, I gotta I, stop. Yeah. Don't nobody wanna hear that yes. shit. I wanna hear it. <laughs> yeah, Don't I'm get me wrong. Well, I had to say it. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're totally right. And yeah. I, I talk about that all the time. I think <laughs> I think that's so unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it's either it's like none in these neighborhoods yeah. or the people in the neighborhoods can't afford them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like Damn. They're few and far between if they are there. Yeah. yeah. And Stick um, from Dead Press, he has a movement going on talking about the food deserts mm-hmm. in our in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the RBG Fit Club. Yes. And one of the pieces of that is talking about the food deserts because our people are dying from bad food. And, oh, yeah. You know, um, you know, mothers that are not making it to term with birth, all that stuff mm-hmm. happens. So. I kind of feel you. No. I kind of feel you. You needed 30 seconds for that. I did. He should have got 30 seconds. It's against the rules. We will talk about (laughs) it, though. It's a mental note. Okay. (laughs) It's in the Rolodex. I already flagged it. All right. Filed. Yes, it's filed. Um, But 
I want to know more about you guys because I went to the Spotify event and I learned so much. But personally, I want to know why you guys decided to get into this business and um, who do you guys cater to for the people who weren't at the Spotify event? Yeah, so, you know, so Kente and I, you know, I'm from ATL. Shout um, out ATL. Shout it. Shout got the free ATL. bands. You got the free you know, bands, Eddie. You got to represent what you, when you can and how you can. What there up? you go. Future and Anthony say lot. But um, I'm from. I'm originally from um, ATL. And I started in arts when I was a kid. Went to a high school for arts. And Kente's from Cali. Mm. And Kente and I, we met working on a mutual project. We met at Daddy's House, Puffy Studio. Yeah. Um, wet, working on a mutual project. And individually and collectively, you know, we've worked with, uh, Elton John and Diddy, mm-hmm. Usher and Ti. So we've had our, you know, our span of that, and we worked corporately in music, ASCAP, Sony, Capital, Warner, Jive. But what we noticed with all of the projects that we've worked on, all the corporations, um, we noticed that the ones that were successful and enterprising were embedded in strategy. Mm. And so people say the music industry has changed, but there's never a sentence after that. And so Kente and I, we started to be really culturally curious about what's the sentence after that. And one of the sentences after that is um, we need help um, figuring out how to enterprise. So Kente and I started saying, well, what is the music business now? And we came up with a formula. The music business is story selling, which is the artist. Mm-hmm. It's enterprise. It's disruptive innovation and it's strategy. And so we began to build that out and we began to talk to artists and we empower artists managers, labels, we build and execute campaigns, um, and we really are working to empower managers and artists through strategy. Oh, man. And um, you guys say story selling. Mm-hmm. Now, when I heard that, I was like, well, it means storytelling. Like, what, what's story selling? What, so what, explain what story selling is. Yep. So, you know, when Kenta and I were thinking about Artist Republic and building out the academia side of Artist Republic, mm-hmm. um, we began to study strategists. So we began to study like Henry Mintzberg, who they consider the father of strategy, and Michael Porter. And then we said, well, what about in music? Who are the people that we deem as strategists in music? And we landed um, on like Steve Stout and Kevin Lyles. And so Steve Stout um, really tagged and made popular um, the term of story selling. And so in storytelling, we know what telling your story is, but at Artist Republic with story selling, the two pieces of that, there are two components, and it's guts and it's grammar. And so story selling is where the artist, this is where we're talking about artist and product development. And the guts of an artist are the place where they change the molecules in the room. You've experienced an artist and they've played live or you've heard their music and mm-hmm. it literally changed the molecules in the room. Oh, yeah. And so that is the gut part of story selling. It's developing an artist to get to a place where they change the molecules in the room. And then the grammar part is syntax. So it's good music. It's well executed, well mixed down and mastered records. It's um, creative. Um, you're creative. Your visuals are on point. So that's what story selling is, the guts and the grammar of the artist. Mm. Kente, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, when you meet with artists, mm. how many artists that you come across, like I guess new artists or artists, I guess, who've been in the game, we'll just say artists in general, mm-hmm. how many are quickly to adopt this, this formula? Because what I'm learning and what I learned at the event was that the music business, as equally as, crea- as much as creative it, it is, the strategy behind it from what you guys are talking about. There's a science 
to this. So how 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 are artists receptive of this idea when you break it down to them? Yeah. Well, the thing you have to understand, um, anytime that you're dealing with, I'm sorry, the thing you got to understand anytime you're dealing with uh, strategy mm -hmm. is that strategy makes you uncomfortable. So we do have to be sensitive um, to artists and managers and creative executives because this is all a very personal place of, that we work from. Um, we do have to be sensitive with them about how we get them to understand why these components matter and, and, and what they make sense to. Mm. Um, but in the end, ultimately, um, most artists understand what we're talking about and, and, and understand it in ways that have not been articulated in ways that we articulated. Right. Uh, but but tr but trust me, there are there have been some experiences where. Uh, artists rally against it. Yeah, um, I'm sure. You know, and and that's that, but that's expected. You know, and we're not presupposing that that this is a, a, a one size fits all in terms of uh, the approach to strategy. But what we are saying is that you know, strategy is universal. Mm -hmm. You know, the the principles of strategy and the principles of business strategy for sure um, apply across the board, and it only makes sense. And so. That's the that's really what we're getting people to really sort of lean a new lean into a new paradigm is that business strategy is not new. Mm. Understanding how it applies to the music industry is something that is a little bit more fresh right. of a conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So you know what? Let's because I didn't do my due diligence. Let's backtrack for a minute. We're gonna backtrack before mm -hmm. we start getting heavy into the strategy. The music or the group that got me into this business was blank. And I'm going to let y'all answer that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got, I got, to, I got to toss some grenades on y'all because I ain't do my due diligence. You know, we got to take baby steps. All right. Play cousins. There you go. <laughs> yeah. We working out here. Yeah. yeah. We doing our thing. This yeah. is what play cousins do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whoever want to go first. So the sentence is what again? The sentence is the, the music mm -hmm. or... The artist slash band, a group that got me excited to be in this business was blank. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. The the artist that got me excited about being in this business was Outcast. Mm. Major. And you know, I'm I'm gonna ask why, but I mean that's pretty self explanatory. I mean, but being an Atlanta native, I mean shh. Cause they're my, they're like them and Tribe are my favorite groups. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a perfect influence. But what was special about Outkast uh, to you that made you go, you know what? I gotta, I have to be a part of this. It was two things. Mm -hmm. It was the business and the creative. So I went to uh, the same school that um, Big Boy went to, Tri Cities High School. Right. I went there after him. Um, and, you know, at school, we were very much um, influenced by the work that Big Boy and um, Andre had done. And I grew up in Decatur, Georgia, you know, um, and Outkast influence was all through Atlanta. And Outkast is what we know them to be. But Outkast was also disruptive. You know, when Andre got on, um, you know, the award show and said, the South, we got something to yeah, say. Um, he was they were really breaking the, the um, a blanket. Um, that had been placed over the South because even when we look at executives, um, much respect to like Andre Harrell and Puff and Tommy Mottola, 
But there are also executives in the South like Chaka Zulu and um, Jermaine Dupree and Shanti Daz and KP um, that don't get the same as artists from New York or executives from New York. So that was one side, the creative, you know, how they creatively influenced. And on the enterprise side, you know, one of my first jobs in music, I was interning for Outkast. And at the time, Janelle Monae, they had, Big Boy had just signed Janelle Monae. And I was all over the place. You know, Mm. my business, you know, they would tell me, send this so we can get our award in the mail and I wouldn't do it. And so my (laughs) business was all over the place. And I remember Big Boy sitting down and he was like, he called me Arsantois. He was like, Arsantois, you're going to have to get your business tight. (laughs) So, you know, so they gave me, Regina Davenport was my boss there. And so they gave me a chance um, when I was a a 17-year-old girl with a dream at Tri-Cities High School. And they showed me, at the time they had um, a studio called Stankonia Recordings Mm. and their record label was Equimini Records. And so... I was all up and through there, yeah. making all kind of mistakes, and they were they were teaching me. Um, Andre's mother was the label manager at the time, Sharon Benjamin. But um, so both sides, creative, and they you know showed me the business enterprise. So oh, yeah. definitely feel like you have to have both. I have to ask you this: favorite Outcast album? It's for you. Oh my God! How do you have a favorite Outcast album? I don't know. I I give you a story after you tell me, but. Some one of my coworkers has said one album in particular was whack, or not that it was whack. He just wasn't feeling it, and I lost trust in him as a human. As a human, I lost trust in him, and I couldn't figure out. But I, I, I'll let what you. What album on. did he say? I'm curious. He's. I, I was. I'm, I. I get so excited about talking about the love below. The love yeah. below. I thought pushed yeah. creative. Bound. I, I still don't think it touched down mm-hmm. on earth because it's so ahead of its time. And dude was just like, eh. Oh. I mean, eh. Right. The, okay. Those words. Yeah. Eh. That phrase. Yeah, I was like, what? Yeah. I, that's an interesting mix. Yeah, yeah. I never. I have never met anybody who knew the Outcast catalog who wasn't like appreciative of Speaker Box the Love Below. You know, and, and we can't be all the way mad at him. Right? No. Because what we have to understand about creativity is like when you have people who are who are, who are creative geniuses, we got to get ready for them. And sometimes we're not ready for them. And mm. then there was a lot of, you know, emotional heartbreak um, because people were like, oh, my God, this is a sign that Outkast is breaking up. Yeah. So people have an interesting relationship, you know, with that That's particular true. album. And they were. Andre was experimenting with the guitar. Um, Big Boy was experimenting with uh, wordplay. So it was a different um, album for people to digest. And so people have an interesting relationship the way they have a relationship with like the Yeezus album. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. Sometimes we put artists in a box and when they are not in that box, you know, people have a problem that Lauryn Hill is performing live and she changes up the music. It's like, you know. Well, she got, to, she has to, right? She has to. Yeah, she has so to. So artists have to Legally. grow and sometimes fans it makes us feel a certain kind of way when we see when we feel artists grow. So that was a lot of, yeah. I think, a lot of what people felt on Speaker Box and Love Blow. You know? Okay, I get that. From that perspective, I get that. So he he's was still one of our play cousins. We don't get <laughs> him for that one. I, we, may, we, I might fight him, but yeah. he's my brother acting <laughs> yeah. like my cousin after. Yeah, you got to let him still be a cousin for that gotta one. got to fight, yeah, though. We, we may got to fight. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, but back to, yes, what's your favorite outcast album? I'm going to say ATL in. You know, I love Big Rube. Um, oh, you know, yeah. there was so much poetry on that album. I mean, the verses on that album. I felt like, um, you know, you know, I felt like on that album, it was it was such a raw element to the album. 
but the music grew, like the actual mm-hmm. production grew. Um, and, you know, ATLian, you know? Yeah. So I would say ATLian for sure, right? And that's right when uh, Andre made his transition, like when he was like, I ain't going to be smoking weed, yep. eating meat no more. Yeah, he kicked on his tour bus, <laughs> yeah. couldn't yeah. smoke right. weed. You couldn't bring no meat on the tour bus. It was in the non-champa incense on the tour bus. <laughs> and so you had to zen out, so. Yeah. And I, hey, look, where he took his music uh, artistically was someplace different. And I think it it, it 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 further grew the group. So, and when you have lines like you know, like Lauren Hill when she had the line, um, "Hair weaves like Europeans, fake nails done by Koreans come again." It's like a staple. Yeah. Um, in you know, and um, every nigga with dreads, you know that that ain't for, ho- ain't for, the, ain't cause. for the cause, and every nigga with gold, gold ain't, ain't for, for the, the fall. Call. Right. Don't get caught up in experience. Yeah. But oh, that was on a Quimini, but you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, saying? I got like you. They, you know, aren't, you know, outcast is just, yeah. 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 I that, that's a tough act to follow. No, Kimpe got something brewing. He had time. Asked, I what have, got, I got you in music. Brewing, so. but, but my, you, so your question was? The, the, the music or artist uh-huh. slash group band yeah. that got me in, excited to be in this business was. Yeah. Like, yeah. And see, for me, that's a very specific question because mm-hmm. music for me that I that was my soundtrack as as a kid was like Wu Tang Clan. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. You know, perfect. But but that wasn't the music that made me excited about the music business. Mm. It was BBD. Oh, really? It was BBD because BBD came along at a time when um R&B was just really fucking soulful. You know, R&B was really fucking powerful on the ballad side. But mm-hmm. then hip-hop was so influential. Um, that's when hip-hop and R&B began to really Man. create a sound together. You gotcha. know what I'm saying? So, But then uh, what uh, BB did was, even in terms of the group dynamic, it was just super, super influential um, on the creative side, visually they were really strong. I Very mean, that everyone Actually, can remember the the polka dots and the um, you know, the fades, but they was clean as you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying. They were really clean. Through it. it was yeah. a show. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It was a whole show. So they made me excited about the business of it because I saw how the song, um, the love of song, can marry the love of hip hop and marry the love of the stage at the same and time. Dance, they incorporated oh, dance. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. They had the the is Suzuki Jeeps, the Suzuzu, Suzuki, Jeeps. Suzuki. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> something Samurai, Samurai Jeep. I mean, I was only a, a child at the time, but I remember like, uh, you know. So, uh, what about it for you? Like, really, cap. You know, kind of made you want to get into it. Yeah, mostly, mostly sonically. Mm. You know, BBD had a sound that was all their own. You know what I'm? A sound that was all their own, um, and it was memorable. It was impressionable. You re- you still remember when Poison come on <laughs> today? Molecules. You know what I mean? They made music that was all, in a lot of ways timeless. Mm-hmm. It touches generations. You know what I'm saying? So. I, that that's really what kept me really interested in R and B and hip hop mm. because of the, the the direction that BBD kind of went in and yeah. did it really successfully. Okay, so take us back to that time, like you, uh, a big BBD fan, yeah. 
um, haircut, <laughs> what it looked like in Cali. Where was we in Cali? Well, no, well, no. At this time, see, I also lived in Louisiana. Oh, you lived in Louisiana. Yeah. So, Jerry girl. No, no. no okay, no. I need to know. I don't know. <laughs> I did have a little, a little slope moment going. High right, a little, little left. Yeah, a little Gumby. Yeah, a little Gumby with a little bleach situation Ooh. at the front. Kwame moment. Kwame. I did have my black and white. Polka dot. There you go. The rayon. The rayon. <laughs> there you go. Okay. And the uh the hammer pants. But BBD <laughs> was the short set, the jumper. Yes. In the um overalls. Overalls. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I was about to say. Yeah, the, the overalls. Ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Kente. I didn't right. even know you did it like that. A little something. <laughs> yeah, a little something. <laughs> All right. So let's get in. Let's get in the first jobs. I mean, first actual experiences. Um, just being in it, like you know. Interning yeah. and you know what what was what was your first experience? Well, I moved to New York City because I got accepted to a government grant um, fellowship. Okay, the mayor's office. So, so this was nothing in the industry. No, no. Got you. I graduated um, from college in Atlanta. Okay, and then uh, shortly afterwards, I ended up getting accepted to this fellowship that brought me to New York City. So I did that for about two years, and my homeboys worked in the music industry. They were actually artists. But I kind of fell into it because I left city government and took a temp job at Sony. And from that day, I knew it was just destiny. This mm. is where I'm supposed to be. The environment, gotcha. um, everything about it just told me this is where I wanted to be. And for the longest up to that point, I had always felt like that was just a, a dream that was unattainable. Wow. Yeah. So wow. I started out at Sony temping. And then um, my first real job was as a legal assistant to a, an attorney in business and legal affairs. So, wow. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, I think for the both of you, um, one word that I would probably say, you know, all of us in the industry, hustle. Um, you had to hustle to kind of get to where you wanted to go, kind of had to think on your feet, figure out what you wanted to do. And I'm sure y'all had a whole bunch of different jobs. Um, yeah. in the industry, like share some of those jobs where you had to kind of get to point A to point B to point C to get where you want to go. Yeah, well, my the, my this first job I'm talking about, I wasn't, I had no qualifications for that, none at all, a zero. Wow, I, no one, I knew nothing about what it meant to work in a business and legal affairs of a recording, um, a record company. But when I got there and I was filling in for this young lady who had just left, I was only supposed to be there for two weeks. Sheesh. But I saw. It, I just knew that this is where I have to be. I don't know how I'm going to make, make this work, but I'm going to make this work. And I figured out how to be the best legal assistant in two weeks, and they hired me. So wow. that was my initial hustle, was learning what it meant to move through a recording contract mm -hmm. and move language around in, in a matter of two weeks to stitch, just to stay in that seat. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And my first real job, you know, uh, interning for Outcast, that was a real job. Yes, that, so let's, 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 let's not gloss let's, over that. Don't you try to make us not play cousins? No, 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 no. We no. Y'all you know? play but, cousins. Y'all cousin cousins. <laughs> yeah, we're cousin cousins. Yeah. But my first actual real job in music, I like Kente was underqualified. Um, mm -hmm. My best friend at the time, her name was Namik Mentor, um, and her dad uh, is Kendall Mentor, and Kendall Mentor is one of the most um, renowned entertainment lawyers in the industry. Wow. And he gave me a job, you know, in music because I was friends with his daughter. And uh, he was, he's key because he was one of the initial attorneys when labels started doing joint venture deals. So like when Irv 
did his joint venture, when Master P and Priority did a joint venture, when Barry Hankerson, who was over Leah, Timbaland Magoo, and they did mm. the Black Round Entertainment. So the joint ventures that happened with the indie labels, Bad Boy and Priority and Def Jam and who who was Def Jam's joint venture with? Um, Polygraph. So they Polygraph. so he was um, one of the attorneys who um, created the language for joint ventures. And so I worked in his legal office and I used to, um, you know, I was just a mess still. Um, and I used to be like, you got me going through all these contracts, but like, this is not the music industry. Like, when are we going to get to the artist stuff? So, you know. <laughs> when I'm going to meet people. When I'm going to meet people. Let me meet somebody. And I remember this one super short story that I tell. Um, he was uh, working on dissolving the contract with Goody Mob. And, oh, and all these people in the office were invited to the meeting, and I hadn't got the email invitation. <laughs> so I went to him, and I was like, yeah, I, I know that um, you made a mistake and left me off the invitation for the meeting, but I, I intend to be there, right? And he's just like, you know, I just didn't see why you needed to be at the meeting. And I was like, well, I wanted to ask them not to sign the contracts and to stay a group. So I thought I would be at the meeting. <laughs> they needed to hear my yeah, input. Right. So right. That, that was my first official job working as a... Um, Working for Kendall Mentor. Wow. And so he um, he was super, super dope, and he still is very much, um, you know, mentoring me in music and stuff. So he's mm. so super dope, Kendall Mentor. Yeah. And, uh, like, just what you said, how, how you guys kind of muscled your way in and found another way in just to be like, okay, it's not where I want to be right now, but I'm going to use this to get to where I need to be. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I think it's so relevant throughout life and, you know, especially through this industry. Um, when you're talking about artists now, mm -hmm. um, you guys have, a, you know, created a great dynamic. What made you guys come together and say, we got to start helping these artists out? You know, because there's so many people who may not know or I may know friends who don't know, but... You guys had both a, a common interest and passion, I guess, you know, for, for artist management. Where'd that come from? You guys' relationship, and how did that become your focus? Well, I knew I, you know, Kente, well, Kente and I have a super, can I tell the story real quick? I mean, go ahead. Okay. Drop so, gems. So, so <laughs> Kente and I, um, I was in Atlanta. At this time, I was working for TI, label manager at Grand Hustle. Mm. And Janetta Patton, the mother manager of Usher, um, I really was like, I wanted to be under her tutelage really, really bad because she was a woman, African-American woman in music. And with the trajectory that I had at the time, it was through a lot of men. And so I wanted to be nurtured by a woman. So she had a management company, JPAT Management. And I knew that she was looking for um, to add someone to Usher's management team. Um, I heard through the grapevine. So I applied and I sent my resume over and they, they hadn't called me back, but I knew I needed to, you know, <laughs> call them up, you know. So I called right. them, and I would go through the entire, like, Rolodex, all of the people. And so after about a month of them making the mistake and not calling me yet, I had called back up there, and I went through the Rolodex, and there was a new name um, with a voicemail. And the guy was like, hello, this is Kente Williams. <laughs> 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 So I was like, who's this new Kente guy who got my job at JPAT? So, so many years later, decade later, um, we um, are uh, artists bring us together. I'm working with an artist. Um, we're at Daddy's House Recording Studio. And he's like, I know this super dope guy, and I want him to be on a project that we're working on, and he's going to come in. So Kente walks in the building and all black with a little chain on and a hat, a black leather hat. 
Style and real style. Like, looking like the new BBD. <laughs> Back. Looking like the new BBD. Underrated. Yeah, yes. looking like poison. No. So he walked in looking like poison. And we looking both like looked at each other. And we were like, I know you. I know you. I know you. And we don't know that we knew each other before that moment. Um, and so we started working on a project. And what I identified um, was that Kente was like my better half. Um, wow. In music and in business. You know, Girl. I was very much centered in artists. I would be at the studio all night. I would be sending Kente stuff at three in the morning. Like, what you think about these background vocals they just laid? And he's <laughs> like, it needs to get cleared by all the producers I'm sending you over. <laughs> this, <you know? laughs> wow. He was the perfect balance. He was yeah. the perfect balance. And mm. so that was the start of how we got together um, on that particular project. Um, I knew that I needed Kente's business acumen um, to balance me out, and, uh, and and that was the start of our relationship at Artist Republic. Wow. Yeah, and the songs I had, coming from working with the kind of talent I did work with, we were, you know, it was important to me to do good business and to know what you were doing, and you recognize working in certain industries for a certain period of time, who knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. and uh, I knew what she was doing, you know what I'm saying? So she asked me, um, she said at one point, she was like, we're going to do something together. And I was like, yeah, we are. I have no idea what the fuck we're going to do, but we're going to do something. <laughs> and um, But we kept with that. And what we we did was we formed a business um, based on our passion points. So initially we knew that what we know how to do is be managers, you know, just in to, to summarize it. Yeah. We knew that we knew how to be excellent managers. We knew that we had an ear for artist development and that we had ears for music. We knew that music was our passion. And we knew that we didn't know what else to do with ourselves. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't know what else to do. We just knew we had. We, we knew. knew um, and interestingly, at, at the time that Asante and I met, <clears throat> I was going through a period where I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to stay in the music business. Mm. So when she and I hooked up, it, it kind of lit my fire and showed me what I was capable of. But it all, but she also made me feel very confident. Right. Where were you going to go? I wasn't even sure. I wasn't even sure. I had yeah. experienced so many ebbs and flows. Uh, you, you understand. Uh, I f- we here. You know, and it, be- it had gotten discouraging to me at that point. And I started thinking more practically, like, I got to be able to eat consistently. And I got to <laughs> be able to have a lifestyle <laughs> yeah. of, of, with some consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we, hang, we, we stayed in there and formed Artist Republic uh, based on the premise of artist development. And the way that we initially outlined that was, okay, we understand what creative development is. We understand how that works. We know how to break that down. We understand the molecules of that, the systems of that, the traditions of artist development. But we also understood the need for business development. Right. So when we would talk to, when we first started engaging artists um, and clients, it really was on a real project management kind of track Mm. initially. But with uh, with a flair of experience. Um, but what we ultimately started to discover was that the more and more that we talked to artists and managers, the more and more we realized that people don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. You know, and, and that created a, a completely new opportunity for us. So we started to explore that. And um, uh, the more that we begin to embed ourselves in our knowledge base, into the language of strategy, the more and more we became a strategy consulting firm. Mm. Yeah. And when we were looking, a lot of people say that the 
there's no practicum or curriculum for the music business. Like, you know, we see now that there are programs where people can go and study music, but that wasn't around back when Kente was listening to BBD. Um, <laughs> so, with you know, the With the Gumby. Yeah. yeah. With the, with the, the, the Kwame, with the Kwame bleach out. Um, that, you know, there was no curriculum that was in place. So we started to be like, well, what is this? And what is the music business? And so we came across um, this guy much respect to John Kellogg um, at Berkeley. Mm. And he had a formula for what the music business was. And he was like, it's politics, law, relationships, and something else. Yeah. And Kente and I looked at each other and was like, that ain't what the music business yeah, is. Yeah, where, where is that? So we challenged his formula. And we created, it was like, where's the artist in that? Where's the product? Like, this ain't about a song. It's not about records. It's not about artists. So we challenged his formula, and we created our own formula. Wow. We emailed him. You know, we created our own formula for what the music business is. And so that was our answer to what we saw um, being a lack in the record business. You know, it's, we do the management stuff with our eyes closed, and we can run projects and execute strategy and build campaigns. But um, there is a very large sector of young creative business executives and artists that need the, the information and the tools. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to do today. I thank you guys for, you know, just sharing a little bit of your story. It's so important to hear that people who are really doing their thing out there come from similar paths. I mean, just hearing y'all, you know, on the brink of saying, you know, well, I may need a nine to five, a regular just <laughs> job because I can't put food on my, I want to have a lifestyle. I want to yeah. be able to take somebody out, you know, you know, I'm hungry, but there's this passion that keeps us going right yeah. and you know for you guys it's 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 getting the word out there and the formula out there for these artists to start succeeding so mm-hmm. let me just start off by giving you a oh, hand you. clap thank you guys yeah, for definitely it. being thank here and now i feel like you know more than ever we need to hear start hearing about the the particulars so i'm an artist let's 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 just take me i'm an artist i have a mixtape i got a little buzz out here on the streets my followers is okay, you know, under 10,000. Um, but I believe in this music thing. I've been working at it. I come to you guys for advice. I come to you guys for help because I'm independent and I don't know a lot about the music business, but I know that my music is dope and I got this core following. What do you tell me to go with that? Being that I don't have a manager or my or matter of fact, my boy is my manager. My play cousin is my manager. He's my manager. What up, Twan? What up, Twan? Twan on the management. Yeah. Right. You know, but he's managing me. He doesn't know about the music industry, but that's my that's my homie. I come to you because I need help. I want to grow my my platforms. I want to grow my brand and I want more people to to hear me. What do you say to people like that? Yeah, well, there's there's definitely not... Um, one thing we want to be very clear about when it comes to strategy and, and uh, providing the tools and tactics for gaining a competitive advantage in any industry is that this isn't foolproof. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's first and foremost. You know, some things work and some things don't. And, and, that, and that applies to everything. Um, so, but what we do... Um, believe that everyone deserves a chance right you understand so with an artist that would come to us with and that comes to us with that kind of discussion our initial approach isn't so much 
tactical in a sense of where we get to breaking down, well, let's talk about your followers. We don't really go there. Okay. That's not our first, that's not our point of entry. That's not our point of departure. Right. But, but not, not, not to cut you off, but mm-hmm. I've heard, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, followers are so important. Followers are so important, as almost important yeah. as the art. And it's like, I need to be out there yeah. so people can hear me. But, you know, nobody's opening up the door to somebody with 600 or 700 followers. Yeah. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, but, the, you know, numbers are, can be very deceptive. Gotcha. Uh, we know, we know, we know artists with hundreds of thousands of followers that get zero traction. Mm. Um, we you can go to many people's Instagram pages that have hundreds of thousands of followers, and their likes are disproportionately low, right? Um, in comparison to their following. So there's a difference between having fans and having followers. Um, gotcha. You know, fans and followers are provide a different bit of activity. Um, but back to your original point was the first thing that we want to know about is the artist. Mm. Who are you? Mm. You know, you can you can have a great mixtape catalog um, and as many followers as you want, but the thing that propels most products, particularly human product, um, is the story that's attached to it. So that's the first place that we really examine and explore and discuss and sit with to get to know the person because artists are people first right and that's and and that's a that's a destination spot because you know we live in a digital age and data is important so followers that's all important but it's just not enough um and getting to strategies a dynamic set of tools used to develop something over time and so what we impart with artists and their managers so what we would tell Quan, Twan, um, Twan and and the artist um, is we will make sure that they understand it's about developing them over time. Mm. Um, and the artists that enterprise, the artists that are around are the artists that um, the fans are attached to their stories because fans do not abandon artists whose story they are attached to. So the first thing that we want to say an understanding that a fan is not going to abandon you if they fuck with your story. So the first thing that we are trying to do is we get to the story of the artist and then we f- help the manager because their position and their job is to figure out how to argue that story to the public. Mm. What Anthony Sela is doing, the manager of Future, he's arguing Future's story to the public. Um, what Anthony Tiffith, Kendrick Lamar's manager, is doing, he's arguing Kendrick's story to the public. Mm-hmm. And so we, again, start with the story. And that becomes a whole thing um, because a lot of artists are creating songs for the radio. Mm. They, there's the the 10,000 followers that they have... The mixtape that they have, the their individual thing, and the and the manager's thing was, yo, we got to get hot on the radio. We got to get on the radio. We that's what we got to do. We got to get on the radio. And so one of our things that we say is fuck the radio, and it's not because you know we t- the radio has important. its place. Yeah, and, for sure, and artists should want to be on the radio, but they shouldn't make records for the radio. Um, and so that's usually where we start with artists. And that there becomes a pro- a process. Mm-hmm. And then we would talk to Tuan. We talk to the manager. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and we would talk to the manager and we would give examples of how other music industry executives approach strategy. And we would help Tuan to understand that he has to know where they're driving the artist to. Right. And it's not about the pieces like just social media or just this because that just creates noise. Right. Now, now I'll, I'll, I'll say we... Um, you know the home bo- home boy home girl manager. Uh, that's not inherently uh, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. 
but it certainly has to be acknowledged for what it actually is. Yeah. And what it actually is is um often um uneducated yet um uninformed inexperienced individuals entering into a business right that has protocols, practices and procedures. Um and so any anytime anyone enters into a business and enters in without that knowledge base, you're at a, you're automatically at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So, our um, passion point really is one of our passion points is really helping managers understand because see here's what part of our part of our formula is disruptive innovation, and uh, with in a sort of uh, rudimentary way the way that that impacted music was through Napster okay right right right. so that shifted a lot created different kinds of growth eliminated other markets and and, but it the growth that it created was growth that the music industry was not prepared for Mm -hmm. so um including um not just the influx of artists now entering into a more positive some competition environment where not everyone has to have the record comp- the record company for them to win um, but with all of these new artists that emerge and have now have an opportunity there's also business executives that are emerging around them mm-hmm. at the same time mm. and so because on the heels of an industry that has been historically and traditionally closed with respect to the way it operates you have a generation of new business executives and artists that are coming into a disruptive landscape mm. that have nobody passing the baton to them in exactly. terms of like how the fuck you do this. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, unfortunately, you also still have a mindset in the old guard of the recording industry where they still don't share that information. And it's it bothers me personally that in order for managers of of in the music industry and business execs to uh, get information. I gotta pay for it, right? You know, whereas every other industry, you can you can YouTube any panel, any subject, and get professionals talking about mm-hmm. the nuts and bolts of it. But I would love to see um, Revolt and our networks do a better job at providing more outlets that are and more uh, media resources for people to just bite into. Midum is a big annual uh, uh, conference that happens over in the UK. Right. And and they provide YouTube links to their discussions. So the point I make with that is that we have to do better at educating our own and, and strengthening the business structure of the music industry mm-hmm. because we haven't done a very good job of it. Right. And I do want to add to that... Um, that was well said. Oh, that was you. very yeah, well that, said. Like, I low-key want to end the interview, right? <laughs> well, we like, Gucci. Let's go. Yeah, no. Don't leave yet. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> but that was a drop mic moment. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the drop. Yeah, but I do want to say to Twan, you know, and the homeboy managers, like, we believe in the homeboy management and the homegirl management. Because, like, Puffy was a homeboy manager. Mm-hmm. Dame Dash was a homeboy manager. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know, but... The point, you know, that Kente is making is who's empowering the managers. And the managers have to understand that they have to be empowered with strategy because there was a time where strategy happened and it was siloed inside the record labels. There was a big table and the product development, the marketing and the A&R department decided on the strategy for the artist. Right. Um, But when we saw like in 96 when like Def Jam got dropped 
And we saw these urban record labels getting dropped because, you know, they felt like urban music wouldn't last and it was just icing on the cake at the labels. Homeboys had to manage their artists. And so this was because of a need that happened. Um, and that is why we are very big on empowering the managers with strategy and with information. Right. And and that's perfect because that's what I wanted to say. You have these homeboy managers who come along. They're part of the team. They want to help. They don't have the knowledge. You So basically, you guys sit down with them personally, mm -hmm. give them information on how they can better themselves because, you know, of course, the artist doesn't want them to leave. And, you know, if they feel like they want to help and they want to continue to contribute and manage, you know, what kind of courses do they take to better themselves as managers? One of the one of the best pieces of advice that Kente and I received from um, Virgil Roberts. Um, wow, dope. He sat on the phone with us and he said, we were like, well, we want to do this in music and that in music. And we was waiting on him to tell us about, you know, music stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was like, read the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And we were like, up and down. the Wall Street Journal. And when Kente and I started reading the Wall Street Journal, that led us to the Harvard Review, that led us to understanding Michael Porter and strategy. Um, so the first thing um, that homeboy managers have to do is understand that this is the record business. business. Right. And you have to have business acumen from learning. Because the managers will send the first email about the artist. And if the manager doesn't know how to even properly send an email, like business from like step one, Kente and I, a month or so ago, we pulled together a group of like 10 managers and we had a management, power, we call them power meetings. All of our meetings, we call them power meetings. And we pulled 10 managed, managers together in the room and we started having them break out on the wall on big paper and talk about strategy for their artists. And the managers did not understand how to approach their artist project from a place of strategy because what comes with homeboy management is the hustle. Right. And hustle's important. Yeah. But we know that the most successful people are the people who can marry being a hustler and being a scholar. Right. And it has to be married. And so, you know, so that's what we say. Read the Wall Street Journal and start um, sharpening your business fitness. Right. So what do you... Not what do you... Okay. The lost art. Is there a lost art in the music business because I feel like when you talk about days of Def Jam and Rockefeller, um, Bad Boy, 90s, 80s, even, you had these people who developed these artists. You had A&Rs, you had a strong team in-house behind artists. Now you have a lot of these artists, again, influenced by social media. They have to somewhat do, the, do that themselves. Has that, even though you've seen a lot of success stories, do you feel like that's hurt a lot of artists who come out the gate hot, have a lot of uh, uh, digital appeal, getting their units out, but don't have direction on where they can go? Is, is that hurting the industry? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's our Papa Molly? I'm sweating. Woo! Oh, Trinidad James. Yeah. You know, when we look at... Let's look at Trinidad James. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know when we don't develop artists and when we don't have a plan for that artist, when we don't understand where we're driving to with the artist, we marginalize that artist to having to be their success is contingent upon hit after hit after hit after right. hit when there's no strategy attached to it. Kendrick's career is not based on hit after hit after hit after hit. Kendrick don't have to make no hits. He can make an album. Um, 
Untitled, Unmastered. He can release it. Fine. It could be nothing for the radio, but we're okay with that. Kanye can <clears throat> make albums and they're not for the radio, and we're okay with that. Beyonce can do the same thing, but we have to develop artists so that they are not marginalized to having to create single after single after single. Right. Because then, after they have a dope single like Trinidad James, if there's no strategy attached, then the artist is left in a position of like, well, what do we do with them next? Mm-hmm. Where, do you, where do you think that, that kind of separated? Like, where where did the artists, developers, at, and, and the A&Rs, where did they go in the music industry? And why is there such a, a need for them now? Like, why are they not existing anymore? Well, disruptive innovation, that, there's that word again. Yeah. It, 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 anytime you have something that is disruptive to a landscape, um, there's going to be the pros and the cons of that disruption. And so when things shifted with the distribution channels and the introduction of file sharing, that changed um, and reduced the kind of revenue that the record companies were were able to generate. Mm -hmm. So that impacted their overall spending abilities. Um, And so on that side, they had to begin to shave off services that they otherwise provided for an artist and services that they evaluated um, on one one way or another. And a lot of those services that they evaluated as... uh, Services that they could let go of were artist development services. Sheesh. So you got that going on. Okay, so then the other thing that's happening with all these distribution channels changing and everybody can appear somewhere without the record label, now that there is a formula in a lot of ways um, to making an artist that provides a career with sustainability Mm. and longevity. So... It's it, what made it dangerous is now that every artist can say, I got a song, I recorded it, I took some photos, I'm releasing it right now. Right. When the, the reality of things are that, yes, now to whom much is given, much is required. Well, now you have to understand that now that I have access to this power to, to make myself visible and create my own visibility strategy, um, what are the principles of this particular category of business enterprise Mm. that helped me to be most effective. And so now you have a lot of artists who think that it's just okay to just release whatever they want to whenever they want to. Right. Managers, because a lot of the industry at large put artists in a position where it's like, you got to have hot songs back to back right now. Um, When we look at Mark Pitts and how he has developed artists, Miguel was writing for Usher right. and writing for all of these artists a decade ago. He was writing and signed and, then, and signed, well, and signed then as incubated a artist. Yeah. and developed. Yeah. Same thing with Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars was writing a decade before he came out because they were you had sound business executives that were um, married to developing artists, and sometimes the development means it's not time yet. Right, and timing time is, is, is everything. everything. Timing is everything. Yeah. And so what happens is artists will put this music out that's not ready to be out because they have a platform. It's just a click, a upload, yeah. and they can upload music. Um, and it just is something that's more detrimental to the artist than it is it's good for them. Right. And I was just uh, j- uh, sharing with someone the other day, the reason why sh- strategy is important to where 
as a paradigm with with respect to it because every people are putting out music and want the exposure because they want to be able to monetize off of it. Right. But the thing that you have to understand is that this is still business and we put an emphasis on that. Let's let's imagine in your head a chessboard. Timing is important when you look at that board, whether you know how to move around that board or not, right? Mm -hmm. You know that I may not want to move this thing that looks like a king first. Timing matters. Right. Staging matters. These are things that record execs talked about all the time. These are things that record execs continue to do, to discuss. And these are the things that managers who are paying attention think about. Timing matters. So the, 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 the art of understanding timing is as simple as that sound is something that is overlooked right. and has been abandoned. Because there's an incubation that happens in that weight. It's not just weight, we do nothing with you. It's weight and you're being, you know, developed. Yeah. In a situation like uh, Frank Ocean's latest, I guess, two releases, um, was that uh, a judgment of bad timing? Even though, I mean, people were waiting so long for it to happen. He releases it. And I think it was great bodies of work, but I don't think it had the appeal that people were waiting for. Was that something that was timing? What do you tell an artist similar to that? You know, I think the beautiful position that Frank Ocean has um, postured himself in amongst the business muck that we know that Frank Ocean is in. Mm. The beautiful thing is that Frank Ocean led with his story. And so right. Frank Ocean can release music and we can critique it. We can say the timing was bad. We can say, well, the content wasn't as good as, you know, we can say all of that. Um, but because Frank Ocean has led with his story, this this is just a part of his story. The releasing of this music is just a part of his story. And, and we know, you know, Frank Ocean has been in, you know, public legal um, conversations and woes and situations like that. Um, but I mean, I think that Frank Ocean releasing when he released, I think it was fine. Okay. Yeah, I think it was fine. All right. Yeah. Can't tell I mean, you. I just, I don't really have a real opinion about it um, with respect to this, the performance of the project overall. Right. Uh, but I did think that, I do think that the back-to-back uh, -to -back release, and I, and I understand the sort of mechanical reasonings for that with respect to his contract and mm -hmm. and being released from it and that kind of thing but i don't know i just feel like when it comes to music artists have to be really sensitive about uh how people consume music mm. you know there was a there was a again music the experience of of an album release the way that we knew it prior to the digital sensation right was a whole experience mm -hmm. oh, man. You know, I mean, it was just like a whole moment. It's like Christmas opening a, a CD yeah. or a cassette. Mm -hmm. um, but now you have uh, people just feeling like they can they can release as many tracks as they want to, um, as many CDs as, as as many projects as they want to within 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 a given time frame, and, and everyone has their right to that. Mm -hmm. But strategy says, well, how do people best sit down to the table and consume music? So I wouldn't have, I feel like that double release gave people a, oh, what's this? We've been waiting for Frank. Oh, it's just videos. Okay, cool, cool, cool. 
And then there's this other body of work that I have to now try to give my attention to. Right, right. You know, so I feel like that was a little bit distracting to his um, fan base. Got you. Okay. Uh, an, an artist, in your opinion, or a project that you 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 saw has has come out already, could be now, today's, like, 90s, 80s, whatever. What was the uh, album that had the perfect timing? Like, for instance, when I think of perfect timing... I think of uh, Tupac, All Eyes on Me. Like when he got out of prison, he started working, 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 and then dropped it when he was as hot and as wanted in the industry as he ever was. And it went on to sell. This and it was regarded as one of the best albums, went on to sell millions and kind of solidified almost his legacy in the music industry. What's an, what's an album like that for you guys where you, you, you saw it come out and was just like... That's it. He got it. Well, she got it. I got two in mind. Go ahead. What you thinking? Well, You're not still on BBD. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I moved on from my boys. <laughs> but mine is a little bit, it, it's very recent because of the that's impression fine. that it's having on me right now and, and yeah, on the culture, and that's Solange. Oh, man. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Sol- Solange's release, the momentum, the activity around it, um, at whatever reductionist kind of level that it was, because mm-hmm. she didn't do a whole lot of noise around it. Um, but the timing, yeah. again, you know, it was just the right time. Um, even if I would say, again, thinking about timing, her sister came out earlier this year, and now they're both um, on Number the top one. of yeah, yep. and, and that's beautiful. But the timing of it was so central to the success of it because. Allowing Beyonce's project to breathe and for us to kind of like stop stop hearing it as loudly, audibly in our ears mm-hmm. and then releasing her moment and, and her story at the right time of oh. what's going on culturally. You know, again, yes. it's about joining the right conversation. Salon's mm-hmm. project is that project for me right now. That's an, uh, amazing. And, and to, to speak about Salon's real quick, I mean, she had put out music before. It's not like she's right. new. She's been working on this. And I think... When you talk about timing and patience, this was the project that just put it in the face of everyone. And yeah. think about that story selling formula. Yes. The guts, changing the molecules in the room, mm-hmm. and then the grammar, syntax, and well executed. This was, I think, Solange's debut of her really story selling. Oh, yeah. And yeah. telling her story. Like, if you even follow her online and you see the little chapters that she's releasing when she went out to like far up um, in Louisiana in a super humble house Mm -hmm. um, and started working on a project and she's talking you through what was going through her mind at the time Mm -hmm. and the insecurities that she was fighting when she wrote it. And um, it was beautiful. I mean, I think she told her story in an amazing way and she's created a timeless piece. Yeah. 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 So that would be also for you? Yeah, Solange was was one of mine. But you had another one. Give me me one. Give me one more. I was going to say Dead Prince. Let's get free. Mm. You know, when that was happening. Um, when Dead Press, when loud music um, was really like breaking into the market and Dead Press released that. When, like, we go through cycles of, um, of our voices wanting to um, talk about what's happening culturally with our people. Um, and we're in a cycle now, like with what we've seen happen socially. Like, we're in a cycle where people are like, what do we do? How do we become, um, you know, more. Um, self-determined as a people um, and how do we move forward as a people and when Dead Prayers released um, Let's Get Free, that was also at a time where we were um, trying to understand and figure out our voice and I thought that that was dope with 
is bigger than hip hop and their schools. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And shout out to Dead Prez. I think it's a group that doesn't get the accolades that they clearly oh, deserve. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Um, let me let me quickly talk to you guys about um actual record labels. All right. So we we since have now learned about so many record labels in the past that have gone through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's helped or hurt them, caused breakups. I mean, we've seen it from a numerous amount of groups. I just want to get your opinion on maybe what in not what they could have did differently, but if you were in the position, what might you have tweaked to kind of get them over the hump in, in certain situations? So like when we talk about situations or record labels like Death Row Records, mm-hmm. we know everything that was going on. Um, from a management standpoint, you know, we know that Pac got shot. We know that Suge got locked up. And from a management standpoint, what would you have done in that situation? In those situations with everything crashing down in front of you, what could you have done to kind of help move the record label along? Ooh. That's interesting. You yeah. know, and I'll let you give the official answer. I'll get a side answer real quick. You know, it's one of the things about, you know, record labels like when you have like a Death Row Records or you have a Rockefeller Records, like, um, or So So Deaf. Um, I think it's okay for things to have a cycle of life. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, so I think it's okay for um, Death Row had a cycle of life and it fulfilled it beautifully. Um, you know, the same thing, um, if we look at So So Death, it fulfilled it beautifully. Mm-hmm. So when I think of like those two records, I don't know that I would have a critique for what I would have done differently because I feel like it, it fulfilled the right cycle of life. Like it discovered artists, Death Row, what they did with Snoop, what they did with Pac, when Dre went back, you know, there after, you know, he went through the thing with um, N.W.A. Mm-hmm. Like, Death Row found artists, they um, cultivated, those, cultivated those artists, they developed those artists, those artists enterprised beautifully, and then those artists broke on to form, you know, their own entities, Dr. Dre and what he did with Eminem. And, yeah. You know, so I think that when I think of, since you use the example Death Row, I don't know that I would have anything except for I just feel like with same thing with um Rockefeller Records. Yeah. Same thing. Like it went through um a cycle, they enterprise, they did what they um did, they made the imprint that it will be with culture forever. And then Jay and Dame, um, they they went, you know, ways to do other things. So mm-hmm. for those two record labels, I don't know that I would have a critique, but if we're talking about the major labels, um, I think that's a maybe a different conversation. What do you think? Well, I mean, just thinking about a death row or a so-so death or a Sony Urban once upon a time. Right. Um, there are there so there there are always going to be different uh circumstances that lead to the uh a label being dissolved, right? But one common thread that I think that I certainly would use as a learning lesson and then as a caveat is the importance of seeing how internal dynamics impact the business because we all know based on um you know just our own awareness and and then watching straight out of compton some of the internal dynamics that was going on with death row Mm -hmm. um the same thing with so so deaf and the same thing with a lot of these other labels that ended up seeing their day and, and that was it 
internal dynamics, whether it is social, social and personal, how, how the artist and the talent are um, connecting with one another. You have, uh, what was L.A. and Babyface's label? LA, La, La Face. La Face. Mm-hmm. You know, all these, same, the same thing. Legendary, right? Iconic label. But internal dynamics, when business is not being done with integrity, um, when people aren't honoring one another in their work and when people don't take the environment serious and realize like this is a this is a real business. I was listening to Nicki Minaj, an interview that she did. And one of the things that Nicki Minaj gets a bad rap for is being nasty, mm-hmm. um, particularly when it comes to doing business. Okay. But, I, but I think that that is for me, in my, in my opinion, I think that Nicki Minaj recognizes the severity of of what's happening around her and and why her management business management is really really critical to her success. Mm. So um that's what I would point to. I would point to internal dynamics and um infrastructural strength that people don't take see and that and that's the thing that we don't really talk about. Right. You know we, we, don't, talk, we about don't talk about music that all. and we talk about the producers and mm-hmm. and those are all key pieces and key parts. But what's right. just as important is that infrastructure. Yeah. That's what I would definitely give a lot more attention when to. When we think about the homeboy and homegirl management is right. great because it's built off passion. But I agree with you. That was a great point, Kente. Um, is we have to think about when we think about our urban labels and the dynamic um, of the team of the artist is making sure that they're building um, strong infrastructures That's because right. that is what creates lifespan. That's right. Right. Versus That's right. a record or two. Right. Um, I'm not going to hold you guys up too much longer. I just want to ask you guys one final question before we get on out of here. First of all, I appreciate the many gems y'all have dropped in the house. Thank you for being my play cousins um, for the episode and for life now. If I call y'all, yes, if I call y'all, please answer. But we coming because I may need some of them. Jay Dilla. Ditto. We're going to call you too. Yeah. There you go. Look, I have a medium. I have a schmedium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With polka dots. With polka dots. BBD style. BBD. Backstage. <laughs> hey, look. In order for people, because I'm sure we, we, wanna, we want people to get informed and get excited about trying to meet new people and network and, of course, get, get more knowledge about the industry. Artists that come to you guys... What must they have first? Or to bring, like, as far as a package, what must they have in order to have a conversation for you guys? Take take them seriously as clients. And what must they have? Because I feel like a lot of people just chase people. I got a mixtape. Want you to listen to it. What must they have in order to create conversations with you guys? I would have to say the only thing, and this is you know my side of it, I would say that the only thing that they have to have in order for to at least have a conversation with us is the ability to be developed um, to create music that changed the molecules in the room. Mm. Mm. That's deep too. Like, cause I feel like I don't know. A lot of people have that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people they, they they don't know they have it. And a lot of people get advice from what I've been, you know, watching and learning, not to go with their instinct, but to go with what's going on now. Mm -hmm. And to really, again, making songs for the radio. Mm -hmm. And when you have that and you had have these I was actually shout out to my uh my my one of my best friends, 
uh, Scotty Beam, who does this Scottie thing, Beam. yes, on Twitter that she does something called Scotty Feedback, and what super she does, dope. she's so super, relevant. She's absolutely. Her, she provides some great cultural conversations. Yes, um, and she's so in the thick of what's happening with music oh, yeah. and being accessible, and so. Shout out yeah. to Scotty Bean. Yes, and if you guys, you know, want to also give your, your your music to Scotty feedback, please do it up on Twitter. Very easily accessible. Uh, I was on her, her her show one day, and you know, just listening to music, and I heard this dude, great voice. The name is Corey Lee. Great voice, really dope. I just felt like the song wasn't right for him, mm-hmm. and because he was following that trend of you know the the I guess Migos rap is what I call it. Um, he kind of, I was like, man, you're not utilizing your voice. Him, he sent me a track back maybe two weeks later and I was blown away, you know, because he, he understood like, okay, I have more to offer as an artist and, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think that's so important yeah. to go with here instead of what's popping now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, one thing you definitely when dealing with Asanswa and I, you definitely, one thing that we don't want you to have, mm. we would rather you not come to the table with, and that is uh, a desire to be famous. Right. You know, and, and what I mean by that is everyone wants a level of success that in, for some of us includes fame. But if that's your motivation, if all you want to do is be seen and, and and make noise, then we're not interested in you just being seen and making noise. Mm. Yep. Dope. I got to thank you guys. I really do. This play Cousins. Play Cousins. <laughs> Big up to my Play Cousins. Big up to y'all. I mean, thank y'all for coming through. Please give out your uh, social media, your websites, and how people can get uh, in contact with you. Yep. So we're on Instagram, on IG at Artist Republic CG, as in like consulting group. Mm-hmm. Again, it's Artist Republic CG on Instagram. The same website. thing on Facebook, Artist Republic mm-hmm. CG. Uh, Twitter, is... Artist Republic One on Twitter. Okay. And we are at ArtistRepublicCG.com. Okay. Thank Play you. Cousins, thank you for having us. Thank you guys for coming by. Big up um, to Quan and all uh, of the homeboy managers. <laughs> yes. Public, we love you. Quan and Twan. Quan and Twan. Keep it moving. And Sharissa. Oh, okay. of course, Sharissa. Yeah, and Sharissa. Yes. Shout out to all of y'all. And please, you know, I hope you, you, you take heed of everything that was, you know, said. I did this because there are so many people out there looking for the answers to break into the music business. And it's very few who kind of seek for those intangibles like you guys have, have said and, and kind of will read the Wall Street Journal now and, 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 and will pick, you know, pick up books and study the business because it is a business. So I thank y'all for just dropping these gems. Uh, the way y'all did. Thank you. So Thank you for All including right. us in this movement. Oh, yeah. Of course, of course. Anytime y'all want to come back, y'all got a home of play cousins. Boom. Peace. Boom. There it is. All right.